Welcome to Transforming Medical Communications, a podcast by MedCom's experts. We share medical communications insights and advice from the best and brightest in the industry to find out what they're doing to push our industry forward. Here's your host, Wesley Portages. Welcome to the Transforming Medical Communications podcast. I'm your host, Wesley Portuguese, and joining me today is Barbara Bish. She is a luminary in the realm of medical affairs training. Spending an impressive 16-year career, Barbara has masterfully navigated the complexities of the industry, from her roles as an MSL to her current position as the Director of Global Medical Affairs and Internal Education at Janssen. Known for her passion of onboarding and training medical affairs professionals, Barbara exemplifies what it means to be a game changer in medical affairs training. Welcome to the show, Barbara. Thank you, Wesley, for having me. As we start our discussion here today, could you maybe take us back to the beginning of your career in medical affairs and maybe share with us what kind of pivotal moments or experiences steered you towards this particular area of uh, medical affairs training? Well, thank you for asking that question and for having me on the show today. Certainly, I'm a pharmacist by training. So starting out in the medical affairs career, I gravitated towards medical information. And I was working as a clinical pharmacist in a tertiary care hospital and had actually worked with a medical science liaison when I was preparing for a pharmacy and therapeutics committee meeting and found out about the medical affairs department and roles that could possibly be something that I could fulfill, you know, going in the future. And I guess the other thing I would say, too, is I wanted to move to California, honestly. So my first opportunity was a small pharma company in San Diego, and I got that opportunity, but I missed Florida. So I came back, went back to working as a pharmacist, and then there was another opportunity that came up a couple of years later after I had been working in consulting to the nursing home setting. And that role allowed me to really showcase my skills to become a medical science liaison for the first time. So not only did I have the skills from working in pharma prior, but also because I was working clinically, taking care of patients, as well as doing in-services and meeting with different stakeholders at the various institutions that I served. So very set me up uh, nicely for the MSL role. and so. That for the beginning. <laughs> yeah. I really like it that you've seen so many different perspectives. You know, knowing that you have been uh, in this area for 16 years, I, I guess you must have seen some, some transformations happening in, in our industry. Could you maybe share some uh, perspectives that you have gained over the years, things that you have seen changing and, and specifically uh, for medical affairs? Well, certainly I I would say for medical affairs and going back, because I went back to being a pharmacist, we're actually kind of going back more than 16 years ago because I've got that in-between period. But about 20 years ago, being an MSL, it was new to have technology be part of the role. Certainly I wasn't at the point where you used to get a binder sent to the house and you just had to go through all of the medical material and and become proficient. At the time that I actually came on, we actually had Blackberries. So at least we had email that we could have with us as we went around in our territories. But I will say from a medical affairs training perspective, what we had at that time was the ability to come together for onboarding training. And I think that was a unique situation, even though it was that long ago, where everyone from the company, regardless of their field medical role, would get together three times within the first year and a half 
to go over not only the company's policies and onboarding for the admin side of it, but also from a therapy area perspective and really develop relationships, which being an MSL is all about relationship building. So that was really actually very transformative because I have some of those relationships that have lasted through to today, depending on where those individuals are in their careers at this point. But I really look at that as being a really top-notch way of bringing medical together and conducting training face-to-face, even though we were already in a remote role and, and the MSL role from the beginning has always been a remote role. Yeah, I, I heard you say bringing medical together and actually reminded me of a, a question I really like to ask because here at, at Medcom's Experts, uh, we usually work with uh, the medical affairs function and we're very involved also in MAPS in the, in the medical affairs professional society. Yeah, we know, of course, that the role of medical affairs is evolving maybe from a more supportive role historically towards a more prominent role, perhaps, in the constellation. What is, what is your view on that? And what are maybe some changes you have observed in that regard over the years? Well, certainly medical affairs now is really another pillar as part of the full company perspective. We have commercial and we have an R&D, but medical affairs is the third pillar looked at really of being the front-facing strategy of the organization because it's the only part of the company that really has such a diverse set of stakeholders. That includes the regulators, the payers, the patients, patient advocacy, of course, all the realm of healthcare professionals. So medical affairs really can bring the voice of the patient into internal conversations about really what those patients' experiences are. So I think what we're seeing with medical affairs is that we're having more medical credentialed individuals within medical affairs having more higher CEO type roles than we had seen in the past. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that view. And I I think it's very important that that is happening and keeps evolving as well. Now, let's start zooming in a little bit more specific on your current focus area, medical affairs training, right? If you feel that there are any maybe prevalent misconceptions about medical affairs training that you have encountered and could clarify? Well, I would say when it comes to medical affairs training, I have seen all different types of training. So I don't know if it's a misconception or it's maybe train. It's like, let's just train each other. That's what I've seen at the outset, MSL to MSL, let's do some training. But what really works for MSL training is to have the ability to have a well-thought-out plan for training, not only just onboarding, and that's the role itself administratively, but then also the therapy area, but also continuing training throughout the MSL's basically tenure at the company. So I think misconception is really just that you can just absorb the training on its own. It's a lifelong learning type of role and it's not a one and done situation. And there really needs to be a good structure around medical affairs training and continual, basically some continuing aspect where the individual gets reminded of the data that they are supporting. And and of course, there's always new data coming out as well. So I think training, there's there's so much that can be done in that arena, and it depends on the size of the company as well, how much resource is available to dedicate. And if there is not a resource, then definitely the MSL is the one who is actually doing all of the training to the new recruits that come in. 
Yeah. Another thing that we often actually have discussions about as well with our clients is the use of learning management systems, right? LMSs. And I think we all have the same goal, right? Like where we think the LMS should be the one-stop shop for training and where everything is hosted. On our end, we are sometimes surprised where there's still like quite a preference for slide decks, for instance, right? A slide deck that is then put into an LMS rather than maybe finding ways to natively integrate content in LMSs, for instance. This makes me wonder around your view on the use of learning management systems and how companies could realize more value out of those. Well, definitely, Wesley, that is a real important resource that the company has. I think forward-thinking companies are evolving with the LMS systems that are available out there. And really, the best type of LMS would be a system that's not just a learning management system, but also a learning experience platform where that individual is having tailored information given to them, not only from a compliance perspective, but also for personal learning and professional effectiveness and the role for soft skills and really have also all those bells and whistles, you know, the multimedia approach. But the reality is that some of these systems that are out there don't have the capability to do that type of integration. And then the LMS is traditionally looked at as a a record storing system and then also a reporting system. So some of those systems don't have that integration. So to be successful, really, need to evolve into newer technology that can support more of a user experience. So I think that lends back to the leadership in training and development, as well as other areas of the organization to really push a system that's more of an experience type of system that would be really more innovative for the future. Yeah, and I heard you mention multimedia. Of course, I'm immediately interested when I hear that word, since we engage in content development all day, every day. What is your view on like the types of content for learning management systems? What would you say are the trends? What are do's and don'ts or tips and tricks potentially on developing content that is ultimately going to be communicated or delivered through an LMS? Well, of course, I think personally the sky's the limit. That's my view, because the more different ways that you can have learning, the better it is for the learner and the way that they can take in information, because we all learn in a different way. So the more types of media that are available, audio and visual interactive and gamification, all of that, I think there's a place for all of it. It obviously not everybody is going to be one way or another. So I think sometimes having mixing it up is a good idea for some type of learning. And we're seeing that now happening quite a bit. I mean, even in medical conferences, you're seeing that happening with regards to even social interactions and getting points and that type of thing. So it seems like that's the way we're going. So I would be a proponent for the more the merrier is the way I look at it. Yeah. Are are there particular formats that you feel work better than others or how could someone define maybe the mix of formats or their variety and content types? I think what's important too is to be able to think of the learner and and meet them where they're at. So it could be that for someone they enjoy looking at a video and seeing a person, someone else wants to go for a run and just listen to what's being said. 
another person may want to interact. I was just on a call recently where the speaker, you know, was giving information I kind of knew. I was more into what was the audience saying and what could I learn from the audience to enhance my learning during that one hour that I had given to listen to this particular topic. So I think we need to basically think of the learner and think of the different ways that we all like to take in information and not really just have one way. That's, I think, my final stand on this topic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. We work, of course, on a lot of medical communications projects for our clients. Some of those are in internal medical affairs training, but a lot of them are actually more HCP oriented, right, for, for healthcare professionals. And there, information overload is really like a big challenge that we currently have. And therefore, like a lot of the content that we currently create for our clients is uh, short form in a variety of different formats. How would you say that this concept applies to internal training? Would you say the same information overload challenges there? And if so, what can companies perhaps do to address that? Well, I think it depends on the type of training that we're talking about. Certainly from a compliance perspective, we've all gone through those adverse events and product complaints, you know, being in pharma. And that's a great place where adaptive learning could be taking use because there you could spend 15 minutes versus a 60 minute period of time going through that. On the other hand, if it's something for, let's say, a physician to review that they're not privy to or familiar with because that's not their area of practice, it would be really important to cover that topic more intensely. And maybe adaptive learning wouldn't be a situation that we'd want to gravitate to. So it depends on the type of training and really how the learner likes to get that delivery of the training. I see it going in different directions. Certainly bite-sized information is the hot topic right now. And so we have to be careful with what type of information would be good for that type of content method. One example that I can think would be good was, you know, looking at posters from conferences and being able to give snippets of the specific highlights from the study that's highlighted in the poster. That's a great place for bite-sized learning. Another place would be spaced repetition. So if it's something that as we just talked about, the physician learned this information. It was a review, but they hadn't been practicing in that area. And then maybe there's timed repetition, a day, a week goes by, and then they get some bite-sized learning on something that they had already studied a little while back. That's a wonderful adult learning principle to use to help someone retain information over time. Absolutely. I heard you saying adaptive learning a few times. I'm not sure if everyone in our audience is going to be fully familiar with that. So could you tell a little bit more about that? Like what is adaptive learning and what are the benefits? How does it work? That's a really new and hot area, adaptive learning. And I, I really did want to get into it more thoroughly. So I actually did a little research on this topic in one of my master's of education classes that I'm taking. And Really, when you look in the literature, there's just so many definitions of what adaptive learning is. But really, it's a learning system or it's a process where artificial intelligence is used and it adapts to the learner's experience with it. So that can mean many things. And when you think about adaptive learning in, let's say, a development of a therapeutic area module, 
there's different places where that adaptive learning can occur. So first of all, you have to think about the system itself. And we have to bring in the IT professionals that can work with the instructional designers to be able to put that system in place and to carry out the curriculum in a manner that is adaptive. The other thing is to look at the learner's characteristics, for example, whether they're basic or they're at advanced level for the content that's there. And adaptive learning can be used in different parts of that module, whether that be within the content itself or the assessment, how one navigates the module. There's like a variety of options. And there are several companies out there that are really looking at this area and working in this area maybe as like, you know, the innovation of the future for how we can be sharing information and maximizing our use of our time. So Barbara, from what I understand, this would also be a really good way to make sure that, let's say if you train a team of MSLs and they all have a little bit of a different knowledge level, they all kind of feel they get like a personalized training program or curriculum because it will adapt to where they are, correct? That is true. I will say that there's still more work that needs to be done. Certainly, I took a look at basically learners' perceptions of adaptive learning, and I don't think we're there yet. I think it's possible. Certainly, the research I looked at was more from a compliance perspective where it seemed to work best. But if we're talking about some deep knowledge that needs to be gained for the MSL to be able to be effective in their role, it could but I wouldn't say for sure be the best way to go. I think that there's a lot of resources, there's financial considerations with how much can go into making something adaptive. I think it's an exciting and interesting area. And I think it's going to get better as we continue. Based on the experience and the literature that I've read so far, I just think we still have a little ways to go. But it's definitely a topic of conversation. So we've been experimenting quite a lot with I guess it's not as high-tech or innovative as AI, but ways to give more uh, power to the learner to decide where they want to go. This can even be in the form of more of an interactive slide deck where you basically offer different routes rather than the traditional linear approach where you need to go from slide one to 200, regardless of the parts that you might already know or not know. And in this case, I really believe in this curiosity of people I tend to compare it when you go online and research something. You look for the things that interest you and that you need to know, and you don't read the other things, although they're all on the internet too. I think the better we can empower people to find what they need, rather than a straitjacket approach, right? Where people are forced through a curriculum, I definitely believe that works much better. And if we can in the future augment that with AI and other tools, that is of course great news for everyone. So you told me that you're studying for your uh, Master of Adult Education and Training at uh, Colorado State University. Could you tell us a little bit more about the adult education principles and why these are so important for effective medical affairs training? Again, I feel like I'm a broken record, but it's really, let's meet the learner where they are. And just like you said, with the adaptive learning, allow the learner to go and find the information that's meaningful to them. I'm very excited about adaptive learning. I think there's a lot of possibilities. I, I just want to be cautious because of what it is that we must make sure that the medical affairs professional knows versus a nice to know. That's the only difference I, I see there. Actually, adaptive learning is actually being used for the New England Journal of Medicine right now with regards to physicians recertifying for their board exams. 
And so that's a great use of it. Physicians already have touched on all those subjects. They need more help in one place versus another to be able to pass the exam. And they've shown some statistics of some better pass rates due to having the adaptive learning. So I think there's a lot to come when it comes to that. But obviously, we know it's when it comes to learning today, it's a flipped classroom now. It's basically, you know, lectures are generally out and it's more let the learner be able to direct their learning. Of course, you know, I'm saying this in the view of medical affairs situation where we all go to conferences and we get lectured to. (laughs) I think that that's going to change over time. And as a pharmacist myself, I've actually gone to CE programs where they've actually made us get in a group and actually talk to each other and solve a problem. That problem-based learning is another aspect of adult learning principles to be able to work in a group. Of course, I think there's a lot to be said and a lot that can be done going forward. And it takes really good leaders to be able to be innovative and want to change the status quo and and be able to push innovation forward, which includes that type of learning, the adult learning principles. Any job today that I see in, in medical affairs asks for those adult learning principles. Now that could be gotten whether on the job or occasion, or in my case, I I love it so much, I want to go back to school, but it can be gotten in very different ways or even a certification. But definitely, I think that's the way to go is to let the learner lead the way and be curious. I couldn't agree more. And I, I like how you phrased that as a flipped classroom. I recently had this conversation with actually with a few HCPs where we're doing some research on satellite symposia presentations. I had this conversation with one of them and this all really stuck with me for a long time. He kind of told me like, well, Wesley, like, why would I fly to the other side of the world, go through all that hassle to be at a conference and then listen for like 45 minutes to people saying, lecturing things? I said like, just send me a YouTube link, right? I don't need to go there. It's way too much hassle. However, if you create an opportunity for me to engage with my peers and with other people, maybe with more experience in this area, and we can actually discuss problems and have a good discussion together. Well, absolutely, that would be absolutely worth to me. And that is why I'm looking for interactivity. I think it's not different for for that audience or for an internal learning audience. Like ultimately people want to start engaging with information rather than just being talked to, so to say, right? That's very true. It's just what we've always done. So that's the thing, you know, we're just used to doing what we've always done (laughs) versus looking at something new and something that's really more in view of what the learner's needs are. That's a good point, actually. So how could they accelerate innovation or how could they create ways to shake up what they have been doing so far and do things in new ways? Well, I think what we're seeing is a technological revolution. So I think that a lot of it is around what can we do in a digital environment? For instance, we talked about AI and certainly from medical information perspective, we can use AI and harness it to get answers to the questions that healthcare professionals have in a compliant way. I know that's already being worked on in some companies. So that's one example. We also have the example of being able to innovate from the perspective of having more digital medical science liaisons. I've seen those roles now out there that they're looking for 100% digital MSLs, which makes complete sense because regular MSLs are 
frequently on a plane or train or car and, and they're not able to actually be able to answer some questions all the time. I think that's another area. And of course, we're going to see more innovation digitally because of the fact that we're all wearing wearables, you know, wearable devices and connecting information, a lot of data that needs to be mined. So we're seeing new roles in medical affairs come about, data scientist type roles that can help lead us forward in the right direction and gathering the appropriate insights that we need to gather to make strategic decisions as a company. That's definitely an exciting uh, development. I would like to talk a little bit about one of my favorite topics, which is metrics. <laughs> because, uh, you know, like also, and generally in, in medical affairs, this is currently a big topic. We spoke in the beginning about medical affairs evolving as a function and, and becoming more pivotal in the overall picture of pharmaceutical companies. But it also means that there is a need to better demonstrate the value that they're providing. And that comes down to metrics. Now, what is like best practice for medical affairs training metrics? Well, of course, when you think about metrics in training itself, there's the Kilpatrick's model, right? Where we know about that. It's really hard when it comes down to the level of level three or four, where we're looking for a change in behavior or for return on investment. But I do think that by having metrics perhaps tied to the competencies of the role, I think that's something different. And I think competencies can pull through in different areas, not just be a job description, but be more something towards where people can be looked at for succession, for being promoted. Looking at the McKenzie report on the vision for 2025, they have a really nice model that actually looks at the different skill sets and competencies that a medical affairs professional should have. So I think those are some ways to look at quote unquote metrics, because I mean, metrics as an MSL, those are just numbers. Anybody can make the numbers. That's not what we're really looking for. We really want to see a change in behavior. You know, you can do that through type of competency type assessment, working internally with management or with L&D professionals to get a better sense of outcomes from training. Even someone can do well in passing an assessment, which is a level two. And that's usually where we're always at, is at that level two as the Kirkpatrick's model. If I understand you correctly, you're saying like, we need to find ways so that you know that the training is applied in practice. Yes, which is sometimes hard to do because there's, you know, a period of time between the training and what we see and practice. But something that comes to mind is a way to see that could also be not only in an actual situation, let's say of an MSL speaking to a physician, but also can be assessed in maybe a role play situation, which is a great training environment because you're using all the senses in that environment. And generally it's a group setting too, where a person can act on the different critiques that they're getting, depending on how they're performing in that simulation scenario. So I think that's another way of looking at quote-unquote soft metrics. That makes a lot of sense. And I think simulation is actually part of the uh, adult learning uh, principle matrix as well, right? Well, the closer you get it to the real situation, the better it is. So it's also maybe not only a way to assess, but also to further train. Where would you say that most training programs fall short if you would need to put a critical note on what we are doing as an industry? 
I just think from where I sit and the perspective that I've seen over my years in medical affairs is that it's such a gamut of different types of training that I've seen. Traditionally, I've seen very disorganized training from the perspective of being able to find where training is even. I mean, it's something as simple as that, different files on different SharePoint sites. There's nobody taking ownership or maybe training not being up to date. So what's really important is to obviously have the train, you know, have an ownership. And when I mean ownership, the trainer is fully owning their training, their storage, their retrieval, access, everything. And then obviously leveraging the technology. I mean, right now there's tons of technology that can be helpful for training. So it it takes someone that is passionate about that part and bringing that in into the training department. You know, it really makes a difference and can be a competitive advantage. As an example, there is legal, obviously, and medical, obviously need to review everything. But some companies may choose not to even record their trainings. And I think in that case, they're missing out on a lot because there's other companies that are able to do that. And they're able to be able to go back and review and have some space learning. As an MSL, even myself, I've used that opportunity to listen to something right before I went in to see a physician. I think that has to do with, you know, the technology working well. And being able to know where to go to get it, having a dedicated person that provided the training in a manner that was just in time for me to use it. I can absolutely relate to that. Now, let's say if you would be talking with a group of aspiring professionals in your field, you have a lot of experience. What would be your advice? How would you help them maybe avoiding some pitfalls and creating uh, results rather quickly? The most important thing is to be a lifelong learner. Keep learning. Keep learning. It's really important to seek out their passion that they have in life. Really, really important because if the person's not passionate about what they do, it's going to reflect. I think also sometimes in life, we know that you're in the right place at the right time. And I would say, don't take no for an answer. You know, really that rejection is God's protection. And that something was meant to be for that person at the right time. And so be of service to others. You never know when by doing something that of giving of oneself that they may end up opening doors that they did not know were there. Networking is really important. Asking what can I do for you without asking for anything in return. I know these things like very general principles. But I think they definitely apply for opportunities and, and really not pigeonholing into one specific line of work. I didn't even know I was going to training when I first started. I had a really wide breath and this just kind of naturally occurred. So those are come maybe more general than I don't know what you're expecting, Wesley, but <laughs> no. those are the kind of advice yeah, I like. Yeah, no, <laughs> well, I think it's it's very instrumental. While it's maybe not very specific, these are things that you can always bear with you in, in the field. I personally align with with those values, and it is, I guess, how my entrepreneurial journey looked like and how I became who I am as an agency owner. I fully agree. Life is full of surprises. As long as you stay curious and follow your passion, you'll find your groove as well. So. Clearly, knowing that you're doing a master's at this point in your career on adult learning principles, knowing all the different positions you have had, what is the passion and the drive that keeps you 
engaged in this particular area? I have to say, I just love learning. I mean, that's really where it comes down to. And, and actually, because of this meeting that we're having today, it actually had me take a look at my uh, professional development plan, which includes different things that motivate me in life. And one of them was to be a technology subject matter expert. And honestly, that comes from honoring my father, because even though he's 94, when he was younger, was into the first TV and the first VCR and the, all of the first of technology. And of course, he got too old when it came to computers, but I'd like to honor his legacy with keeping up with that. So, you know, that moves me forward in that respect. And of course, there's this whole new world of learning and development. If it's not enough that being a pharmacist and serving others and keeping up my learning because of that, I think that I'm well set up to continue learning and for the foreseeable future. Yeah, beautiful. What a nice story. I have one last question for you before we're going to close out this episode together. If you would have a magic wand and you could change anything you would like, just with a stroke of the wand, like in medical affairs training, what would it be? <laughs> I think it would be nice if we could all just be real with each other, be human, accept each other. I know we do all do that, but just really be transparent with each other to help each other. I think it's a more global and honorable thing to look at us as a society. But I mean, when we come into these corporate environments, we're still human too. And I think to be able to work together, we need to let our guards down and work together. It's not about one person winning. It's about us all winning as a team. So I think that's happening. I know I see that and it all comes down to the culture of the organization. And so cultures that have that are cultures that are successful. I couldn't agree more. And, and actually, uh, I can see that you demonstrate that value as well, because you're here today, right? And you're here to share your knowledge with our listeners, which is really appreciated. So Barbara, thank you so much for the beautiful discussion here. It was really nice to have you as a guest. Thank you for sharing all your knowledge. Thanks again. Thank you so much, Wesley. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care. Transforming Medical Communications is brought to you by MedComs Experts. To find out more about MedComs Experts and how we create some of the most cutting edge medical communications programs anywhere in the world, visit www.medcoms-experts.com. And then make sure to search for Transforming Medical Communications in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at MedComs Experts, thanks for listening.